Welcome to the Employment Law and HR Podcast with your host, Allison Colley. Hello and welcome to this episode 99 of the Employment Law and HR Podcast. I'm your host, Alison Colley. I'm an employment solicitor and HR specialist and I run my own business, Real Employment Law Advice. We provide advice and assistance to employers and employees on all aspects of employment law. I do hope that you are all ready for the introduction of GDPR next week. So for those of you who have been living under a rock and haven't heard of it, the General Data Protection Regulations come into effect next Friday, the 25th of May. And therefore, you need to ensure as an employer or business owner or manager that you are aware of what is happening with GDPR. For those of you who are still getting your heads around it and what your obligations are, particularly in relation to employment and employing staff, you can go back and listen to episodes 89, 90 and 91 of this podcast where you'll find a basic guide to GDPR. But it's important that you do act now if you haven't already and get something in place. Certainly we're all ready for it at this firm and you'll find our new privacy notices on our website if you'd like more details. What I'm talking about in this episode of the podcast is not GDPR, you'll be pleased to hear, but rather part three of the mini-series on dealing with grievances. So for those of you who've listened before, you'll know that in episodes 97 and 98, I covered the introduction to grievances, what a grievance is, and the impact of not following a correct grievance procedure. And in episode 98, I talked about how to go about the investigation and the process involved. Now here in episode 99, I'm going to be talking about how you deal with the outcome, how you deal with appeals and just some potential scenarios that might arise. So without further ado, I'm going to get into this week's featured content. So I rounded off the last episode of the podcast, episode 98, on conclusions, so reaching the investigation conclusion. And I mentioned that you need to complete an investigation report, or that I recommend you do a grievance investigation report, and that the end of that would be your outcome, so the decision, and your recommendations. Now this can be pretty tricky for people who have to investigate grievances, particularly where it's a grievance between employees or a grievance against a manager, because you're essentially normally dealing with one person's word against another. And it can be really hard to try and reach a conclusion, but you have to do it based on the evidence that you've obtained and the information that you've obtained in the course of your investigation. And that's where going back over What I was talking about in episode 98 about how you conduct the investigation thoroughly and obtaining the evidence will really assist you in getting your conclusion and recommendations right. It's important to remember that you have to make a decision on the balance of probabilities so it's not beyond all reasonable doubt. So you can make a decision on the balance even if there's not firm and concrete evidence there. As long as you can justify it and why you prefer one version of events, for example, over another, if you can justify that in the course of your decision, then you will be fine. In dealing with the recommendations, 
ACAS helpfully have produced some guidance on how you reach the conclusion. And they suggest at the end of your report that you have the uncontested facts, so those facts which are agreed, the contested facts, so the facts that aren't agreed, and the unsubstantiated claims, so that you consider shaping your report and your outcome in that way. If, as you're producing the outcome, you're not sure about whether you can say something, then it's definitely worth getting some advice. If you haven't got advice, then I would go back over the evidence and think about how you can link it back to that. So it's not sufficient to reach a conclusion just on a hunch or on your feelings about it. But if you can go back over the evidence and refer back, it'll be much easier for you. It's also much easier for the parties involved to accept the outcome if you can link it to evidence and how you've reached that conclusion rather than it just being something that's been plucked out of the air. It is harder for people to question or to feel aggrieved if there is you know, hard evidence there. I appreciate that that can be really difficult, but there is, you know, there are some circumstances where it can happen and you should think carefully about what you're saying and the way in which you're saying it. So again, if the outcome of your grievance is that you don't uphold the employee's grievances, think about how you're going to word that and how you're going to explain that to them so that it's not in a manner which says, well, you know, I think you're lying, unless of course you and you've got evidence to support that try to sort of soften the blow if you like and I know it's easier said than done but if you are dealing with a complicated or potentially contentious grievance issue then I would recommend you get advice about how you actually word that and how you reach your conclusion of course it has to be your conclusion it can't be somebody else's you know it has to be your words and your outcome but you can get some help in exactly how you link that to what you've found in the investigation So I would say out of the whole process, that's probably the hardest part and the part that you really need to spend the most time thinking about at the conclusion. Once you've communicated your decision to the individual employee who raised the grievance, you have to inform them that they also have the right to appeal against the decision. So if you don't uphold their grievance, for example, they may appeal and you tell the employee how long they've got to appeal. This is normally within your own internal procedures but if it's not then you should give them I would say five to seven days to submit their appeal. Once they've submitted their appeal you need to deal with it without unreasonable delay so as quickly as possible and you need to assign somebody again who can deal with the appeal so it needs to be somebody who is impartial and who hasn't already been involved in it. Now, this may be easy in your organisation if you've got a lot of people, but if you're a smaller organisation at that stage, you might decide, okay, we haven't got anyone impartial now, we've used up all of our impartial people and therefore we need to go externally and you can appoint somebody external to deal with it for you. The employee should be invited to a meeting to discuss the appeal, so an appeal hearing and inform that they have the right to be accompanied at that meeting. When dealing with the appeal, It will depend on what the grounds of appeal are, but you will need to decide if it's going to be a review, so a review of the decision based on the grounds for appeal, or if there's going to be a rehearing of the grievance. Now, this is only normally appropriate if there is new evidence or something comes to light that hasn't before, then you may decide the appeal is going to be 
a rehearing of the whole process rather than just a review. But in the majority of cases, it will be a review. Once the appeal's been dealt with and the conclusion has been sent to the employee, they have no further right of appeal. Generally, the appeal process is slightly shorter or takes less time than the original grievance investigation. And this is because most of the work has been done and it is just a review. There may be circumstances in which it's necessary for the appeal manager to undertake further investigation or look into things. But once they've had the initial meeting with the employee, they'll have a better understanding and so they can adjourn the meeting and then get the extra evidence or undertake further inquiries and then come back and conclude the appeal. So that brings the process to an end. But there are some other considerations that I think you ought to be aware of in the course of the grievance. One of those is mediation. Now, you may use mediation in your organisation already, or it might be the first time you've heard of it. But in some circumstances, mediation can work really well to try to resolve grievances. And it's something to keep in mind from the very outset of receipt of the grievance from the employee. And so that is to say, is this a situation where mediation could work for us or work for the employees? This could be where there's been a minor misunderstanding or some minor issues, for example, between colleagues or line manager and employee. And you might think, well, look, rather than us going through a grievance process that could potentially make relations much worse, let's see if the parties might be open to mediation to try to resolve this. And you can try to introduce it or to consider it throughout the process. Now, if you don't have anybody within your organisation as a trained mediator, then I recommend you get somebody from outside of the organisation who is a trained mediator to do it for you, because otherwise it can just make things worse. For example, if somebody tries to bumble their way or blunder their way through mediation between two warring parties. So if the employees are open to having mediation, so both of them are willing to partake in it, then consider appointing somebody external who is already trained and able to deal with mediation. And as I said before, just to reiterate, you should consider mediation at all stages of the process. So you might think that in the course of your initial discussions with the employee, that mediation wouldn't be something that could be realistically considered. But then when you come to deal with the witnesses, you might think, actually, this is something that could be dealt with by mediation. So let's just say you interview somebody who's accused and they show that they are in a sort of conciliatory manner and they understand some of the issues and that they're willing to try to build bridges. You might think rather than go through and continue with the investigation with the permission of both parties, it might be better to do mediation, for example. So it's just something to keep in mind as an alternative to the rigid grievance process. The other thing to keep in mind about grievances between employees, so where a grievance is about a colleague or a line manager, is that you do have to balance the rights of both employees involved. So it may be that the employee who's raised a grievance has done so and just managed to get it in there first and, and the other party is equally aggrieved about the way that they've been spoken to, for example. So you do have to balance both employee rights. And I know that that's really difficult because you have to deal with a grievance fairly and reasonably investigate it, but also keep in mind the impact on others. It may be that you feel that it's necessary to separate them as long as you do so without penalising one or the other. 
then that may be a really good way of neutralizing the situation. And also considering if there's line management issues, if you can take away the line management of somebody, for example, where they've raised a grievance. And again, it's not going to be prejudicial to either party. So just something to keep in mind. Another scenario that you should consider is where employees raise grievances during a disciplinary process. Now, this is something that happens fairly frequently. So, for example, an employee will be put on a capability procedure by their line manager because they're not meeting their targets. The employee then raises a grievance to say that their manager is bullying them or putting them under unnecessary pressure. And it's normally in response to the capability procedure. In those circumstances, you can decide how you wish to deal with it. So you could decide to pause the disciplinary process whilst the grievance is investigated and then conclude the grievance and then return to the disciplinary process. Or if they are related, you could deal with them concurrently. The persons who are dealing with the grievance should not be involved in the disciplinary process where possible. It may be that it's not reasonable or easy to separate them out completely, but I would really consider how you're dealing with them. And what you shouldn't do is to place the grievance on hold whilst you're waiting the disciplinary outcome. Another issue that comes up is where an employee raises a grievance whilst they're on sickness absence, sometimes for various things but a lot of the time it's in relation to stress or depression or anxiety or work-related mental health issues. Oftentimes employees raise a grievance because they've been advised to or they feel that it's the only way that they're going to be able to resolve the issue but they still don't feel well enough to engage in the process and don't really understand how stressful it could be to go through a grievance. When you receive a grievance, obviously, as we talked about before, you have an obligation to deal with it in a timely manner and in a reasonable way. And what you should do is try to encourage the employee to engage in the process as far as is possible. Oftentimes, employees will raise a grievance. And then when you contact them to set up a meeting to discuss the grievance, they don't want to be involved or they say they're not feeling up to it. In those circumstances, I recommend that you get a medical report or you contact their GP just to ascertain how far or how reasonable it is for them to attend a meeting and what they can do in terms of their abilities and also what reasonable adjustments you can make to the process. Whilst you can't force employees to engage in the grievance process, if they've raised a grievance and it's work-related stress that they are off work for, It is also worth emphasising to them the importance of trying to resolve the issue in getting them back to work because there's no point in the grievance being put on hold pending their return to work if their return to work is being hindered by the grievance issues. So it becomes a vicious circle if you like. So where possible try to encourage the employee to return to work, to have the meetings and to try to engage with their doctor or their specialist to encourage them to engage with you. Now, again, some employers feel that they have to dig their heels in and that they won't allow reasonable adjustments or they won't allow their meetings to be held in any other way than a face-to-face. Aside from the potential issues there if the person does have a disability, 
it's just not good employee relations to do so. You want people to engage. You want to have an open dialogue. You want to have that communication with them. So whether that be by telephone, by Skype, or as a last resort in writing, it's best to do that to try to resolve the issues as far as you can. So don't be afraid to say to the employee, look, I know you can't come to a meeting, but let's have a telephone call so we can chat about it. Or, okay, you don't feel up to talking to us. So what about if I put some questions to you in writing? So think about alternative ways of dealing with it and don't be rigid in your process. And finally, I just wanted to touch upon tactical grievances. And this is where an employee raises a grievance at the same time as contacting you on a without prejudice or off the record basis to discuss settlement. This often occurs where an employee feels that they've reached the end of the road with you and they're on the cusp of resigning or leaving or potentially claiming constructive unfair dismissal. And so they contact you on an off the record basis and say, look, these are my potential claims. This is why I feel aggrieved. Um, I'll agree to accept a sum of money to end my employment. At the same time, tactically, they'll put in a grievance. Now, if that happens and you are open to negotiations with the employee and you start a dialogue on a without prejudice basis, it's important not to forget that you have an obligation in relation to the grievance that they've raised to deal with it in a timely manner. So you must still continue to engage with the grievance process even though you may be negotiating with them on a without prejudice basis. Now, this might seem a bit odd because you might be open to paying them a couple of thousand pounds to go away quietly, if you like. And rather than having to assign somebody to do all the grievance investigation and go through the whole things I was talking about in the last episode. But if you don't start the grievance process or at least agree in open correspondence with the employee that they want it placed on hold temporarily you could then find yourself in a situation where you haven't acted in a fair and reasonable manner with relation to the grievance, you haven't reached a settlement with them and so it just gives them more ammunition in relation to their claim for constructive unfair dismissal. So it's just something to be alive to and to ensure that you don't just become all engaged in the without prejudice conversations without thinking about the implications of the grievance. So there's just a couple of things to keep you thinking about in relation to the grievance process and some particular issues that arise when dealing with grievances. As you would have heard in the last episode, there is lots of guidance available from ACAS in relation to how you deal with grievances and grievance investigations. And I'll put a link again in the show notes, but you'll also find a link in episode 97 and 98 as well. But if you do find yourself dealing with something that's complicated or you're unsure, or it could be potentially become very contentious or lead to a claim in the future, then it is important to get advice and assistance and to not put yourself through the stress and worry of trying to muddle through. All too often I deal with employers who have spent huge amounts of time and huge amounts of stress and worry in trying to muddle through and deal with things themselves, either by using the ACAS guidance or by googling it, when really for a fairly low cost they could get some expert legal advice and assistance in dealing with it to take the worry and stress away and also to ensure that they deal with things in a legally compliant way. So if you would like any advice and assistance in relation to grievances, you can contact me. My email is alison at realemploymentadvice.co.uk. 
So the next episode of the podcast is episode 100. And so to celebrate reaching the 100th episode, which seems to have been going on for a long, long time, I'm going to be doing something a bit different. And I will return to the grievance mini series in episode 101, which will be frequently asked questions about grievances. So if you do have any questions you'd like me to cover in that episode, you can contact me again. My email is alison at realemploymentoradvice.co.uk and I'll be happy to answer them for you. Thanks very much for listening. I do hope that you have a great week and look forward to speaking to you soon. Thanks again for listening. Just want to finalise by saying I wouldn't be a lawyer unless I had a legal disclaimer. So I must just say to you, that the information in this podcast is for information only. It's general review and a general update. It's always necessary to get specific legal advice about your circumstances. So please don't rely on anything that you've heard in this podcast. But please do feel free to contact me if you'd like further information or specific advice.